This is WHQR Presents, where we platform creators from around the region. Today's show is The Hidden Homeless, a podcast created by social workers at UNCW's School of Social Work. It's aimed at starting a conversation and raising awareness around Wilmington's housing crisis, specifically how that crisis impacts Hispanic communities. And stay tuned after the episode to hear from the team that created this podcast, Britt Carpenter, Carly Karn, Aishel Garcia, Kaylin Goriup, Kara Shaw, Tanya Smith, and Ellen Tucker. It's a great team. Okay, enjoy. Hey there, thanks for tuning in from the University of North Carolina at Wilmington School of Social Work. I'm Kaylin Goriup. And I'm Aishel Garcia. And you're listening to The Hidden Homeless, a podcast created by social workers aimed at starting a conversation and raising awareness around Wilmington's housing crisis and specifically how it affects our Latinx and Hispanic communities. So what is housing insecurity and how is it defined? Most recently, Boating and Adams, researchers who set out in 2022 to develop and validate a housing insecurity scale in the global south, defined housing insecurity as the lack of secure, affordable, safe, acceptable, and decent housing. Ross and colleagues in 2020 added that housing insecurity often interacts with other vulnerabilities such as poverty, exclusion, and exposure to environmental risks that compromise livelihood, safety, health, and socioeconomic development. Salud America illustrates how U.S. Latino communities are marked by lower quality and affordable housing. They also face high housing cost burdens and risks of evictions and displacement. These burdens limit Latinos' access to health-promoting assets such as medical care, good schools, and grid spaces, which contribute to vast health inequities in this population. The percentage of Latinos who are housing cost burden, spending 30% or more of household income on housing costs, grew from 42.4% in 2000 to 56.9% in 2015. Access to affordable and safe housing is a human rights and social justice issue. The statistics shared highlight a vast inequity that needs to be addressed. So today, we have the privilege of hearing from three different local professionals in Wilmington who work in the community in various roles surrounding housing, homelessness, diversity, and the Latinx population to help us better understand just how pervasive housing insecurity has become for the general population and why today we are attempting to shed light on the struggles the Latinx community faces. We hope that this next segment helps the general population gain insight into the ripple effects of the housing crisis. To illustrate this idea further, we are pleased to bring Katrina Knight, Executive Director of the Good Shepherd Center in Wilmington, to the podcast to tell us more about how economics play a major role in the continuation of a decades-long problem and why the Wilmington community as a whole should be concerned. We were describing our local situation as a crisis back in the early 2000s. Here we are in 2022, and I feel like we're sort of losing the vocabulary. 
when I made the same statement to someone just yesterday, they said, well, maybe it's a catastrophe. And I said, well, actually that, that word is pretty fitting. It, it feels like a catastrophe. We just have never worked within a landscape where people who have never asked for help before are finding themselves in situations where uh, their rental has been sold to someone else and now they need to come up with another $500, $800 in rent every month just to stay in the place that they and their children have been in for a period of time. It is that age-old situation of not having enough income to cover the gap between what you have and what you need to have in order to obtain and hold on to housing in this very expensive community. That was true 20 years ago. It was true five years ago. But today, it feels kind of like a runaway train. We've seen people moving away saying, if I stay here, I will never become a homeowner including for our modest earners, that is such a key way to, to build assets and generational wealth. When you talk about, you know, people of color or people who have been disenfranchised over the generations, you know, if they disproportionately are locked out of those opportunities, well, that's only going to make that situation worse, you know, for, for future generations. As far as the Latinx community, I'm always surprised when they don't comprise a very significant percentage of our sheltered community. What Latinx clients tell us is, you know, they are much more likely to lean on their own sort of social network. So if a, if a family member or they fall out of housing, um, they're much more likely to double up or overcrowd with someone else for a period of time. So I would describe them as more often being sort of the hidden homeless because we can only count people who actually enter into services. As you can tell, just because we can't see a need doesn't mean that it's not there. And next up, we'd like to share some insights from Michelle Bennett the chairperson of the Board of Directors for the Cape Fear Homeless Continuum of Care and membership secretary of the Cape Fear Housing Coalition. Michelle shares some valuable statistics with us regarding the cost of living in Wilmington and speaks to the glaring intersectionality of income, ability, and race when it comes to housing insecurity. Homelessness doesn't operate in a vacuum. It's not a, a siloed event. Um, it's rare that you find anyone who is experiencing homelessness who doesn't have some other need, some other social determinant of health. I would probably say that the top two issues are a lack of physical structures and affordability. If you have two working professionals, you might can afford bare bones. I think you have to make $21 an hour to rent a two bedroom here. A great many of the folks who are living here in New Hanover County are cost burdened toward housing. Some of them are extremely cost burdened. A lot of times people experiencing homelessness don't have access to regular transportation. Much to my dismay, New Hanover County did not vote in favor of the transit bond that was just on the ballot, which is so unfortunate because as the director of Wave Transit will tell you, our public transportation system is not usable at this time. Minorities are disproportionately affected with homelessness and have been for years. And certainly the Latino community, we still have a, a fairly substantial portion of that group that is undocumented here, and that brings an additional set of challenges to housing, to employment, to food security. Any housing assistance requires all sorts of documentation, so that pretty much rules you out of housing assistance from the beginning. 
Language can certainly be a barrier, trying to find forms that are appropriately translated, be it a rental agreement, be it paperwork needed to complete for Section 8 housing or for a housing voucher. Not to mention that I think there's the general perception in the undocumented population of caution and guardedness and concern that if their undocumented status is discovered, they will either be sent back to the the native land that they came from or that they will lose their job or lose their housing. And so a lot of times we find that these folks, not only in terms of housing, but aren't receiving other services just for fear that there will be retribution for their being undocumented. It's a vicious cycle. One thing comes upon the heels of the next, upon the heels of the next. And, you know, it's a a little bit of a question of how how do you ever get to the point where you can start to make a dent? Lastly, from the perspective of Jasmine Trejo, a staff member at Cape Fear Latinos, a nonprofit organization that is focused on providing social services and community aid to the Latinx population, Jasmine expands on the harsh realities that the Latinx population struggles with regarding housing, especially those that are currently undocumented, and tells us more about how Latinx women, particularly single mothers, are up against the worst of the consequences of the housing crisis. Within the Latino community, there is a lot of negatives I'm asking for help because it's like, okay, later on, if I want to fix a legal status or in any other legal thing that I have to do, this could affect me. Even though if there is resources, they decide to struggle because they're afraid. I feel like a lot of people tend to take advantage of the Latino community because, oh, they don't speak the same language. They Mm -hmm. don't know how things work out here. Also, there is a lot of fear because they're undocumented. Yeah, they are susceptible to a lot of situations that can endanger them. There is a situation on a certain trailer park where the landlord pretty much makes contracts with the people that he's renting for, telling them that at the end of a certain time, they're going to own the trailer. People don't know better. They sign the contract, and that's not a legal contract. So it comes to the time where they are supposed to get the title, and then it's like, okay, you need to get out because this is not yours, it's mine. If there is an issue on the house, like we've had a situation where uh, there was a family living in a house with mold. There was another family that was living in a trailer where the floor in the bathroom Mm -hmm. was falling down. And the landlords don't try to fix it. Mm -hmm. And that is because they're like, well, it's Latinos. Uh, I can can make them wait. I don't need to focus on that. They're not going to say anything. I don't have to worry about it right now. They're not my priority. Because they're probably scared of saying anything or like... Yeah causing trouble and like being kicked out yeah or like anything like that yeah and that is with people that have been here for like 20 plus years mm-hmm. and now when it comes to people that have recently got here it is even worse we've seen that it's been harder for single mothers when it comes to finding a house they have to work and they also have to take care of the kids and we've had some situations where they don't even have the transportation so mm-hmm. how do they get uh, to work and sometimes uh, the places that will be more affordable are far away from places where they could go to work with that also comes making sure that they're safe not just the mothers but also the kids we had a situation where the landlord wanted to take advantage of one of the women that we were helping. Mm-hmm. So we also have to look into that. So he was having some predatory behaviors yes. towards yes. the woman. Yes. And we had to get her out of there. 
In the spirit of the Social Work Code of Ethics, we as social workers have a responsibility to examine issues related to social justice and take opportunities to deepen our understanding of how social problems disproportionately affect marginalized populations and people of color. Social workers need to investigate how these populations are currently navigating their unique situations and learn what we can do to ensure help is provided and able to be accessed to carve out a path to equal opportunity. A responsible community, a thriving community, has housing available, decent housing available, for people across the economic spectrum. There is such a thing as a shared quality of life. Obviously, we're all concerned about our individual quality of life, but when increasing percentages of our neighbors, literally our neighbors, are struggling and cannot reliably get to work, because they're in housing crisis, their children are suffering, teachers cannot afford to live here, other public servants or hospital workers cannot figure out the math of accepting a job here or staying here. That has an impact on the rest of us. I hope that increasingly people will begin to kind of piece that together, that it's not just a bleeding heart caring about your fellow man sort of issue. It, it is also a very self-interest sort of issue as well. Taking a moment to reflect on the information we've shared with you today, our call to action is this. We ask that everyone listening pay close attention to your local politics. Look for issues related to immigration reform, landlord accountability, and housing reform laws. These are issues that informed voters should look to support among politicians. And those serving the Latinx community must be prepared to offer translation at the minimum. To go beyond language barriers, agencies should provide and expand ancillary services to the Latinx population, such as food distribution programs and outreach events to build a relationship with the community. Joining forces as a community to attain a shared quality of life, as opposed to keeping our blinders on, can unearth a new Wilmington. A Wilmington that embraces culture, and a Wilmington that prioritizes an affordable, secure, and healthy way of living for future generations. Thank you so much for listening today. The Hidden Homeless is a production created by social work students at University of North Carolina Wilmington's School of Social Work. This episode was edited by Britt Carpenter. Your hosts have been Kaylin Goriath and Aishel Garcia. People who have helped put this show together include Carly Karn, Kara Shaw, Tanya Smith, and Ellen Tucker. A special thanks to Katrina Knight, Michelle Bennett, and Jasmine Trejo for their contribution to the podcast. Music for today's episode is from Upbeat.io and produced by the artists Corinne and Zimpson. We thank you for listening and hope you enjoyed your time with us. That was The Hidden Homeless, a podcast coming out of UNCW's School of Social Work. I'm WHQR News Director Ben Schachman, here with some of the team that put this podcast together. Britt Carpenter, Tanya Shaw, Aisha Garcia, and Kara Shaw. These four were part of a larger team that put this together, and they were willing to spend a little time with us to talk about how this project came about and what's next. Okay, Britt Carpenter, I'll start with you. 
You're a master's social work student at UNCW. Tell us a little bit about how you got involved with the Hidden Homeless podcast. This project came about our first semester. We had a group project and it was our first group project together, which was interesting because none of us knew each other at that point. We've since become very close, I think. Um, But so it was our first group project and the project was about um, about diversity in the community. So we were asked to choose a population within the community that we wanted to focus on and then either interview, do some sort of research or survey to gain knowledge and to share unique perspectives from that community, you know, a community that's possibly marginalized in some way. Um, And so we got together and the, the idea of focusing on housing insecurity came up um, from Kara, actually, because she has experience working in that community. Um, and then also there were, you know, there were some issues going on locally with some ordinances that we were interested in, even though we didn't end up going down that road for the actual podcast. But it's kind of what brought it to the forefront. And then um Tanya and Aishel are both members of the Latinx community, and so they had the idea of focusing in on that specifically, which I, I personally did not did not know that there was such a unique issue with that population, um, and so I'm really grateful that this experience brought that to light for me. Um, so that's kind of where we went with that, and then I have a background in video editing um, way, way back when. That was my previous career, and so I had the you know the software um to do the editing piece and i had experience piecing together interviews and i'm a podcast lover and so i pitched the idea let's try to do a podcast and originally we wanted to uncw has a podcast recording studio and we had all these you know big ideas but with meeting with people for interviews as i'm sure you know ended up being easier just to do it in their offices on iphones (laughs) um but i still think it turned out really well and i'm i'm really proud of it great thanks Britt. okay kara shaw you're also an msw student at uncw what got you involved with this project What was really interesting to me about this project is partly what's led me to go back to get my master's in social work. Um, I have been working in community mental health for, um, gosh, probably over 16 years and here locally for probably the last 13 to 15 years. Um, And so especially over the last several years, safe and affordable housing has been one of the primary lacking resources in our community. Um, It's been one of the barriers for many of the populations and individuals that I work with. um, And I think it's dramatically impacts everyone across the board. Um, So when we had this opportunity for this project um, in one of our classes, that's one of the areas that I really wanted to focus on was how do we dig into this? What does this look like? Um, And then when as part of the group, we looked at, okay, let's even look at additionally marginalized populations um, and how do they experience this even on a further level um, than than just folks with low income? Um, what does that look like? Um, so that's really what, what was kind of the passion and the heart for this project. Absolutely. Okay, Aisha Garcia, how about you? Hi, my name is Aisha Garcia. I'm also a MSW student at UNC Wilmington. I think I've been really passionate about this subject for the last year. I have done multiple projects on it during my school year. 
I believe that once we started topic talking about the topic and subjects that we will could, that we could work in this class, homelessness was really on the forefront for me because the ordinance on downtown Wilmington where it was going to get prohibited for uh, people experiencing homelessness will not be able to hang out or sleep on county property, and that's where they mainly congregate was. Um, a really impactful thing to see because that's where they can access most of the services that they have available for them. So when we started talking about this and then um, narrowing even more to the Hispanic community, a lot of people think that homelessness is only the people that you see in the street, the people that are sleeping outside. But the reality things is when you talk about homelessness and housing instability, it, uh, it's even more than that. It's people that are sleeping in their cars, people that are sleeping in a, an apartment or a house where there are six in one bedroom. And uh, we see a lot of that in the Hispanic community where they are living in a house where are 10, 12 of them and they are landlords or uh, private uh, landlords taking advantage of them. Yeah, we've definitely seen some of those stories and uh, they could be devastating. Um. Okay, Tanya Smith, last but not least, you're also an MSW student, and you told me your involvement came out of advocacy work you've done for years. I'm an MSW student at UNCW, and I have worked in interpersonal violence um, as an advocate for the last seven years now. And so my interest comes primarily from working with um, Latinx clients. Um, amongst many other clients, but primarily working with Latinx clients and seeing how um, loss of housing, whether it's because of domestic violence or other kind of circumstances, have led them to seeking housing and not being able to get it because of all of the barriers that we kind of discuss within our podcast. So whether it's because of the language barrier or fear of their documentation status or um, not being able to utilize the resources because they just don't know how to navigate them or not fitting the narrow definition of being housing insecure or um, being homeless because they do have some resources and are able to kind of sleep with other family or couch surf. And then that therefore means that they can't access these very necessary resources because really that isn't uh, the way that they want to live that isn't the way they want to kind of um, live in a stable and safe house and so kind of over the years seeing how much they struggled um, because of a sense of pride and, and sense of culture and knowing that this is what um, how they want to take care of themselves and how they can lean on each other right because we have a huge sense of community with our Hispanic culture, but then also knowing that like that then means that we don't fit those narrow definitions of what these services are trying to put us in, right? So kind of seeing over the years how that um, can make it really difficult for them to navigate all of these resources that are ultimately meant to help them kind of made it really important to say, okay, yes, this is such a huge issue, but this is how this population specifically falls in, into those gaps. And I think that'd be really cool to discuss and bring and shed some light on. So I know you're all passionate about this work and the stars just happened to align and you ended up in the same place at the same time. But I wonder what's next for you guys? 
Tanya, you mentioned that your work will have you on campus if people want to find you. So one of the things, so in my field placement, I'm actually going to be with Centro Hispano, which is going to be, which is a um, identity center on UNCW's campus that has a couple different programs. So one focuses on students who come to UNCW's campus um, and helps them kind of find a place to feel comfortable, work on professional development, you know, builds that sense of belonging on campus, right? But then also has a program that helps um, families that are in kind of the surrounding area learn about college and like college access and kind of help them. Um, and then a lot of that, what we found is that many of those families are having just as much trouble kind of accessing all of these resources, right? And so this is the first time that Centro Hispano is having an MSW intern. Um, and having anyone that can kind of be there and say, okay, yes, there are these resources. And so it's the first time that someone's able to kind of connect these families to resources. So I, I'm sure in some of that, um, there's going to be that affordable housing gap. There's going to be food insecurity. There's going to be some of that. And so in my future career, um, part of what I'm hoping to do is um, provide those mental health services and culturally competent services for the Hispanic community um, and do more community building so that um, and collaborative kind of building. But I mean, there's already so many great um, places that are trying to do that, um, like the Latino Alliance and um, all of all of the kind of amazing people. So it's really kind of shedding light on those resources and building on those. But that's what I hope to do in my future career. So that's where I'll be coming in. And Britt, how about you? What's next? I really just want to focus on spreading awareness in the community because, you know, as as you can see in the title of our podcast, this is a somewhat of a hidden problem to a lot of people who aren't um, acutely experiencing it. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to contact WHQR and, you know, see if we could could get it out to the community because I think it is so important and, and, you know, people who aren't experiencing it can kind of um, just go throughout their lives and not, not realize it. And so I think, you know, whether that be eventually another podcast, maybe when I'm not so um, busy with, with schoolwork or, you know, just getting out in the community and um, advocating for policies that, that help um, these individuals that help with transportation, um, you know, housing and transportation are, are huge issues in our community. And I think a lot of people don't pay attention. So I think just trying to get more people to um, be aware of, of what's going on for everyone in the community. That's great. And if you, if you do more podcasts, give us a call. Sure. <laughs> Kara, what's next for you? I think for me, um, you know, I, I, although I am a student, I am continuing to work full time in community mental health. Um, and, and I think that was why this was important to us um, to kind of get out there. I plan to continue to work in this field. Um, and I think a lot of folks hear homelessness and, and some people under have a, a, a large understanding of it. And then other folks hear it and think, well, it's just an, an employment or it's just a, a substance use issue. Um, and, and not that those aren't contributing factors sometimes 
sometimes for some people, um, but as a whole, our community really lacks safe and affordable housing. Um, and so being able to work with an organization um, that has built relationships with um, you know, organizations in town like Katrina Knight at Good Shepherd or Michelle Bennett with the Cape Fear Homeless Continuum of Care, um, this is how we're trying to work in our community to advocate for those in positions to leverage resources to make those things affordable. Um, you know, when you have people on fixed incomes who then go to what they potentially could afford as an apartment, but it's, it requires them to have two to three times the rent and in income and demonstrate that to even sign a lease, well, then they're edged out. Um, and then when you add, like Tanya mentioned, all those additional barriers for other folks. Um, so that, that's my goal in, in continuing to work with community mental health. Yes, I see it from the, from the mental health perspective, but it's a, it's a community issue that we have terribly here in Wilmington, um, even for just our working, you know, average working folks out there to be able to have affordable housing and still afford food. Um, it, it's a big deal. And I hope going forward, relationships like this, like even through school building relationships with Tanya that, and Nichelle and Britt, that will continue those connections in our community um, to, you know, Tanya continuing to work with the Hispanic population. Hey, I have somebody who needs this resource. Do you have this resource? Do you know where this is? Um, but honestly, continuing to get, um, you know, our county commissioners and people to, to really understand that those resources are not just not accessed, there are enough resources and they're not available. Going over what Kara said, I mentioned before that I have done a couple projects uh, like focusing on homelessness. So for my following this subject, I did a, a project for homelessness where we had to pick up a bill. So I picked up the HR 773, which is the Homelessness and Behavioral Health Care Coordination Act, which um, it focuses more on like substance use or behavioral health issues for people that are experiencing homelessness. So I took it a step further and I started emailing our representative like David Rouser, which I actually got an answer back from him, the uh, homie, I start emailing the council of Wilmington, the housing authority, and like just uh, making a point that this is something that we are seeing and us as community members are wary about this. And I wanted it to bring, bring it to their attention. It's like, it's happening. Yes, we're talking about it, but we are really not doing anything. Like, yes, we have resources. We have funding from the H. UD and stuff like that, but we're not seeing it, putting it to work in our community. Like Kara mentioned, yes, there are resources, but most of people that are having these issues are not able to access it. Like Tanya also mentioned in the Hispanic community specifically, if they don't have a status, if they don't speak English, if they are not understanding of what the process is to follow, if they're scared of uh, telling their family members, hey, like I'm having issues, like I can't afford rent, that's a shame. That's a, like cultural shame that it becomes part of our culture. So there are things that like we are not really putting into consideration that makes homelessness even a bigger issue yeah that's that's really well said um okay before we go Britt, you wanted to thank the rest of your team well i just wanted to their their names are in the the credits but i just wanted to give a little shout out to our we had three other 
team members, it didn't feel feasible to get seven people <laughs> on an interview. Um, four was probably even pushing it. But um, yeah, our other three team members, Kaylin Goria, Carly Karn, and Ellen Tucker. Kaylin was the the host for the majority of the, the podcast and was really heavily involved in writing the script to kind of piece those um, sections together. So I definitely wanted to give a shout out there. And then Carly and Ellen, you know, helped with coming up with the the questions and um, doing the artwork and, and things and transcribing the for accessibility. And um, just wanted to point out that, of course, there's more behind the scenes, as you know. <laughs> Great. Well, you guys have done some really nice work here. And I'm so glad you could share it with us. Well, we all obviously, um, this is always something we're passionate about. We're all going to be in the field and all obviously still advocating for this moving forward. So I think all of us heading into this next semester, trying to figure out what schedules look like. Um, who knows? Maybe maybe we'll have some openings to create something like this again in the future. And maybe we get like a studio where we like have all the stuff to do. It. <laughs> well, you know, we do have a few studios and uh, we'd love to help you if we can here at WHQR, so let us know. But for now, Britt, Kara, Aisha, and Tanya, thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. All right, well, that's it for this edition of WHQR Presents. You can find more from this series at whqr.org under our podcast tab, and you can find this and other episodes wherever you find your podcasts. I'm Ben Shockman. Thanks for listening.